Film Fanatics. From the silver screen to your earphones. With Alan Azulay and Gal Balaban. Welcome back to Film Fanatics, where we talk about the movies that get us obsessed, excited, and inspired. I'm yeah, Alan. And I'm Gal. And today we're entering the Renaissance. <laughs> That's right. We're going through Brendan Fraser's entire career through film. Uh, we're going through classics like Charge of the Jungle and The Mummy. And his outstanding camp, uh, comeback in The Whale. Joining us today is an incredibly talented film lover and filmmaker who has come out with his second feature film, Atrabilius, which tells the story of a man trying to uncover the mysteries behind his son's apparent death. Let's welcome to the film fanatics, William Atticus Parker. Hey, William. Hey, thank you for having me. So first, we were thinking we could uh, ask you a couple of questions about the movie. Uh, I know Gal watched it like a couple of weeks back. Yeah. And I actually watched it yesterday. Uh, yeah, and I, I had a great time watching it. Uh, of course, I logged it onto Letterboxd. Uh, so <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was fun. Uh, knowing that I was going to get to talk to you today about it. And just overall thoughts, I just want to tell you that like, it's a really great movie. I really like the story. I really like the like the thrillers like slash mystery aspects of it. Uh Gao knows that's one of my favorite things. And you you really did impress me. I didn't get a chance to watch your first movie yet, so this is the first time I, I, I've watched a movie from you. And again, especially because you're nineteen, I, I'm very impressed. <laughs> Um, we're we're both very inspired yes. by Atrabilius, <laughs> especially um, like thrillers are also one of my favorite genres. And seeing uh, like the really creative shots and the lighting and the the performances that you got out of them, I want to ask a couple questions about it because first of all, it's really interesting and um, you came up with such mysteries that we would connect to like noir movies that we love. So how did you come up with some of those characters? Like one of the performances that stood out to me was Mark Boone Jr., whose character is like really eccentric or Jeffrey Wright, who I always love, or Alec Baldwin's character is mysterious in a dark way. How do you think of those characters that the the lead comes across? Yeah. Uh, so typically whenever I'm writing a movie, I start with occupations before I ever go to the narrative, the story, the arc. I always start with an occupation, whether that's the lead character, the antagonist character or a supporting character. So for 40 winks, it was, Oh, let's, let's do something about a hypnotist. And then I was like, maybe we take a spin on it and we make him uh, a hypnotist hitman. Uh, and then for Atrabilius, uh, I really liked the idea of uh, mixology. I thought that that was a really uh, interesting uh, uh, form to explore in the cinematic world. And, uh, and then I, w I wanted to add my own twist to it. And I thought, what was a better way to kind of rope in a mystery than having these drinks that were non-alcoholic but could potentially cure uh, grievances? Uh, so I, I kind of started with that. And then, uh, and then I wrote the character of Steven Joyner. I wrote kind of the narrative. And then I get started uh, after that on just like kind of seeing who he runs into, who he goes through this mystery with. Uh, and the first character besides him that I came up with was uh, Dr. Edward Gillespie. Um, because I knew that whoever uh, was involved in some way with the mystery uh, had to have uh, something, some kind of intention uh, for being involved in said mystery with not giving too much away. Uh, so it was important to me to not just make him like a one-dimensional character. And I think that's where his uh, eccentricities come from uh, and just kind of his addiction to poetry uh, and addiction to Shakespeare, things like that. Um, and, uh, and the religious aspect aspects that he kind of grapples with. Um, and then, yeah. And then someone like Jeffrey Wright, uh, his character, Vincent was one of my favorite characters to write because, uh, one of the things that I said to Jeffrey, I was like, Steven's going to keep on asking Vincent questions 
And Vincent has the questions, but he's going to keep on firing back with redundant questions because he he can say exactly what happened, uh, but he's not even keeping it from him uh, in, in, in a kind of a cold-hearted way. He's keeping it from him in, in a way of almost teasing him. Uh, so it, it was fun to kind of like have Vincent be the catalyst of all these characters. Uh, but yeah, and, and then of course, Proctor Carlisle, Alec Baldwin's character, you know, you always need some uh, comedic relief. And originally it was just, it, the scene happens, it was like they walk into the Webster home and Proctor Carlisle is on the couch, nothing else. Uh, and then he, we just had this two takes where he would just kind of uh, spurt out some improv, some funny things. And so I just stitched that in. Um, and, and so that was a fun character to kind of come up with with him. Yeah, that, that scene actually is one of my favorite ones in the movie. The, I, I really love when, uh, when like a movie like a thriller or something like that has this edge of comedy of like this really eccentric characters that are like bigger than life. Like they're bigger than like everyone around them. And when you just see Alec Baldwin just like just like laying there and you're like oh my god this bastard is gonna make me laugh isn't he and that's exactly what he does and how long did you shoot the whole alec baldwin scene so we shot the whole thing in about like 10 ish days uh leon the lead actor he was teaching uh acting at a college uh raising his new child and uh leading an off-broadway play so uh, we had to kind of build the schedule off of that. So uh, because I, 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 I said to him, I said to the producer I was working with, I was like, if Leon is not the lead, we should just uh, move on to another project because he just has so much uh, gravitas with everything that he says. And he's one of the most uh, focused actors and kind humans I've been around. So I was like, after work, it was like, there's no one else that I'd want to uh, kind of experience this with. Um, and also his, his being a father, uh, I think, really added to the, the weight that he carries with the role. Um, we had like two half days. And, uh, and then one of the days we shot the scene with Kate Sullivan, who's Frank's girlfriend. Uh, shout out to Sabina Friedman Seitz. She is uh, our, also our co-producer. Um, and so we shot that. We did the Alec Baldwin scene and I think like three and a half, four hours. And then we did the Whoopi scene the whole day. Uh, so that was really like the majority of like, you know, the different locations other than the apartment and the bar. So everything else really was either at the apartment or the bar. Um if not strictly at the apartment or the bar, but, uh, and then we had one day with Lewis Black and Jeffrey Wright, which was awesome because we kicked it off with Lewis Black and it was like 6am. And, uh, so he was hilarious to, to just run through the material with at 6am. Uh, but yeah. Lewis Black just has an awesome voice. I mean, I think I first heard him in Inside Out, so you automatically recognize that voice. I am really, I'm really interested. Um, like you, you, you said how um, uh, Leon Edison Brown was like your only choice. You wouldn't even like go on with the project without a really powerful statement from a, a director to an actor. And first of all, I want to compliment his performance. If his perf uh, his performance doesn't work, it's harder for the movie to work because it revolves all around him. And his performance is great. What you said about his gravitas. Every scene, even if he's saying maybe something like funny or witty, like he has that gravita. Really is like a fantastic performance. And I want to know, like, how was like your relationship with him on set? How did you get this performance out of him in the movie? Or like, his, uh, it's like, how was that balance? I mean, as I said, he's just one of the kindest, funniest uh, humans I've ever been around. And he is truly one of the best collaborators. Uh, he would have ideas about shots. Uh, he would have, you know, in the pre-production process, he would have 
ideas about props, uh, which was interesting. Like, you know, uh, when it came to like the bottles, I'd show it to him. And even if he was joking, he, he'd be like, should they be a little bit bigger, you know? Um, because we did want to kind of like make some aspects absurd. Uh, and that just stems from him really understanding the tone. And when you have a character that's kind of always uh, the square character in every scene, uh, even if he does have that depth, uh, it's important for him to understand the tone. And, and yeah, just, just arriving every day on set and seeing him uh, just like made me so happy that he was a part of it and wanted to be there and wanted to create. And yeah, it was, we, we did a little bit of rehearsing, but he is such a master at what he did. And one thing that he does that, that really reads is uh, he listens. Uh, he, he listens like almost no other actors, like, because there are a lot of like actors, uh, you know, in some movies where it's like, they act like they're listening, but they're really not internalizing it. And his process of internalizing what other people are saying and kind of stepping away from the spotlight made it just such an enjoyable performance or enjoyable uh, experience for everyone on set. Uh, and as I said, he's really, really funny. Uh, he's, I mean, that's why I originally cast him as, uh, as Wesley in 40 Winks. When you see it, you'll see, you'll see more of his uh, comedic sense but uh but yeah he is the sweetest kindest human nice Th thank you for for sharing that and i, I was really curious about the process that was great um so yeah could you talk a bit about your process lighting the shots especially the um, the titular bar because that was a really memorable shot and also can you bring us a bit into your process with editing because both alan and i are very passionate and active editors in our time yeah so um so with the lighting, I mean, it's important to bring up uh, the crew because we did this whole thing with an onset crew that varied from about two to five people every day. Uh, we didn't have a gaffer. Um, and so, as I said, Sabina Friedman cites, she was the co-producer. Uh, and then Adam Piacente, who's in it, he plays Alan. Uh, he plays uh, the bar one of the bartenders. Uh, he was also the stunt coordinator and the mixology coordinator. So he had a lot of cool ideas about lighting when it comes to like darker scenes and stuff like that. And uh, fun fact, uh, this yeah, I've actually been like insta friends yeah, with him for a couple of years. Go no go. Yeah, no, he's my favorite. He's yeah, favorite. he's the great best. one. And. Uh, and so, yeah, so, uh, so in the two scenes where Boone delivers his mon monologues at the beginning and the end, he's the one holding that blue light. Um, and yeah, so, uh, so he was just a trooper. He was there every day on time, ready. Uh, my friend Sudan Chang, uh, Damani Alexis, and Marissa Michelle. Marissa Michelle. Uh, was one of the camera operators, uh, and she, I mean, you can see her work. Uh, it's just phenomenal. The same thing with Eli Berliner, who's another one of uh, uh, my good friends who did amazing camera work. Uh, he, he set up a lot of those static shots that you see. Uh, and then Chris Kalfa was the costume designer, so we really had like a pretty limited on-set uh, uh, crew and then uh, Juno Wright, who's actually Jeffrey Wright's uh, daughter, was the script supervisor, which was so funny because uh, you'd have Jeffrey, and whenever you know, if Jeffrey ever had like a question about any of the lines, Juno would be there and she'd always like tease him. But uh, it was it was so much fun because every because the color palette, you know, there's so much going on, and everyone kind of understood. As I said, the tone of the movie, but also most importantly with a crew, the style of the movie, they all had ideas and everyone that I just listed contributed to uh, one of those shots, at least in the bar. Uh, and uh, But yeah, so for me, it was really important uh, to, to have a really uh, colorful color palette, especially in the bar, because one of my favorite movies, or at least one of the movies that really inspired me was Alice in Wonderland. 
And so I knew that if you have this really like uh, colorful color palette uh, and then you have the underworld beneath, it kind of makes those things darker uh, because you have this really bright surface and then the things that lie beneath are so dark, as you both know, when they come. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, so setting those shots up was so fun. We, we did basically every, I would say primary color that you see, especially like when there's that flashback, you know, I'm talking about those 15 minutes, uh, almost every, that's my uh, favorite, uh, scene of the movie is the flashback. I, I, I love it so much. It was so much fun to film. And we did that all of those 15 minutes in about uh five hours four hours so that was sane but so rewarding and uh and doing the mixing scene was so much fun but uh we had one light for all of that uh one light that projected colors we had some uh that would project just you know your normal key lighting uh but we really had one light for the primary colors uh and so However, there were about 25 different settings. So we kind of got to decide where we wanted the color to be set as per what was gone, going on emotionally, narratively. And so as you can see in that scene with the flashback, I won't spoil anything, but you all know why it goes from blue to green, most importantly, to red. Uh, so yeah, so um, making those decisions was so much fun. And... Uh, and yeah, just visually drawing the viewers in, uh, keeping them kind of entertained and on their seats, on the edge of their seats, uh, and hopefully on their seats, hopefully they don't leave. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was super important. And I think style can, can do that. Well, that's, that's not the inspiration I thought you had for this movie. <laughs> I had, like when you said, when you were, when you were talking about like your inspiration, I was like, okay, he's gonna talk like about a thriller or something. And then you were like Alice in Wonderland. I was like, what? But you're Tim Burton version? <laughs> no, the, uh, probably the original, no, right? Action. No, the original cartoon. Uh, That's uh, what original I original cartoon. I, yeah, I thought about that. One. Yeah, uh, and then of course you know uh, there were. Uh, tons of of thrillers honestly even something like nope uh which we all saw together the whole cast and crew that was an inspiration in the sense of how it blended so many genres together because we really knew that we were going in blending so many genres almost consistently throughout the movie rather than like each act being kind of a specific genre uh there were kind of those suspense mystery elements comedy elements throughout so it was important to kind of recognize uh that um and then also films like zodiac and prisoners stuff like that uh in terms of the darker scenes and the mystery uh those those were really massive uh inspirations uh but yeah it was it was uh it was it was so much fun to come up with that i think that movie is really unparalleled when it comes to kind of like the uh Honestly, just like the the kind of like uh, detective, uh, uh, aside from High and Low, I'm a, I'm a big High and Low fan, but uh, but Zodiac in recent years, it just does so much, and even though it's two hours and forty five minutes, it breezes by, uh, for me at least, and uh, and the lighting and like yeah, and the lighting in some of those opening scenes is just stunning and i remember when i was putting together my lookbook there were at least three shots from that movie uh that were basically direct inspirations uh to some of the things uh in the movie um closer to the end but uh but yeah cool and you mentioned also prisoners the narrative quality if that makes sense of uh prisoners like i could see like some of like your uh your inspirations from that uh when i was watching the, the parent movie. and child and uh yeah exactly and like how that affected like uh the just the narrative in general and just the genre itself like the thriller when you were mixing it in with like the dark comedy aspects which is something that prisoners does not have but uh, uh i didn't it, laugh watching prisoners <laughs> but it, like it like on your film it works really well like it really does thank you 
yeah, no, Prisoners was a massive, just narratively, you know, also like the way that it kind of like, you know, it kicks off with the mystery. It's those first seven minutes, uh, you know, and it's, it's off to the races. Uh, so that was, that was important for me too, to kind of like, to kind of just really just get into the mystery, you know, in those first 10 minutes. And, uh, cause, uh, originally, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but, uh, those first 15 minutes, the first flashback, originally that was the start of the movie. So originally the movie started with those 15 minutes and then the rest of it went on, but into the editing process. Uh, I figured out that really starting out, you know, making sure that you get to Jeffrey Wright, get to the bar within those first 15, 18 minutes was super key. And then uh, the other thing that I noticed is the mystery uh, would kind of have solved itself if those 15 minutes came first. Uh, so I wanted to keep things more ambiguous, which is why I went for a, a semi nonlinear structure. Um but yeah yeah i'm happy you did i think you like it was 100 percent the right choice uh when like like i told you that flashback is my favorite part of the movie and i think it wouldn't have it it wouldn't have hit as strong if i didn't like know anything before like if i had like no no idea of like who those characters were like it wouldn't it wouldn't have had the same like emotion behind it so for sure it was the right call and uh i'm i'm, I'm glad you made it <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think it's all the more chilling uh, to see Boone, that's all I'll say, at that point in the movie, uh, rather than if it were at the beginning. Um, yeah. He's so good. He's Shout out to Mark Boone Jr. He's one of my favorite people. Uh, he's, he's also so, so, just so funny. And uh, he's playing just, you know, what may go down as like potentially one of the most uh you know brutal characters in in the history of like you know if i go on to make more movies and you know he does have that humanity to him but uh it, it was really funny because we do some of those scenes i think you know what i'm talking about the scenes that precede the flashback uh and uh and then we we do those and then we'd cut and he'd just like start laughing and then everyone involved in that we'd start laughing and you know whenever blood was involved that would be you know super funny because we accidentally get it everywhere and uh and so it was really i mean like it we were surprised it didn't turn out a full comedy because we were all laughing so much on set and having the best time and yeah and uh but yeah, and so like it, it, that's the, it, another important thing to note is I think something that people forget is that improv is not always comedy, you know, and Boone is a great example of that. Uh, I think Evan is another great example of that because both of them improv, you know, lines here and there, reconstructed uh, sentences and even sometimes monologues in their heads. Uh, they're both so smart and, and just you know they they really know how to like uh read the material figure out who their characters are uh and and really find the humanity behind them no matter who they are and uh and they're so smart in the way that they approach their work uh that they're able to kind of improv things and uh and yeah but boone is boone's phenomenal in it when you get the opportunity check out Atrabilius and 40 Winks, which I still need to watch as well. Um, but it's very exciting work, and we're really happy to talk to you about it. Really proud. Just to, to continue something that Gal said now, just you know that a movie is good when, like, you we watch the movie and you're like, okay, okay, now I need to watch the the first movie, like, of, of that director. So that that's the best compliment that you could that you can get in this industry so yeah so it's really good that both of us went to to check that out and there are a lot of similar actors i'll say that oh awesome. great <laughs> you know you just made me even more excited pay attention to uh what you hear in some scenes that's all i'll say 
in terms of cameos. Okay, great. Cameos. Where can people find uh, the the movies if they if they want to if they're like they're hearing us talk about it and they want they want to check it out? Where they can they find it? So Forty Winks is on. Uh, it's on Prime and uh, Apple TV, but it's free uh, and streaming on Tubi. Um, and uh it's streaming somewhere and roku uh so you can watch it on there um and uh and yeah and and atrabilius is uh is going to come out it's going to be a 2023 release i don't know exactly when but uh when it's out uh, i'll make some uh, announcements we are going into another actor's showreel and that is of mr brendan fraser He's been in some childhood classics of the 1990s, including George of the Jungle, which came out in 1997, and it stars actors like Brendan Fraser, Leslie Mann, Thomas Hayden Church, Holland Taylor, and the voice of John Cleese as an ape named Ape, I'm pretty sure. His name is Ape, and that is a classic comedy right there. Just to be really straightforward. They're like, kids so, don't know so, how to yeah. name things. Just put the name of the actual animal. They'll, they'll figure it out. <laughs> they'll get it from there. So, William, let's start with you. Did you grow up with George of the Jungle? Honestly, I think I saw The Mummy b- before I saw George of the Jungle, uh, like, full way through. The Mummy was really just, like, that was in, right after I saw Raiders for the first time and was really getting into Spielberg, and he remains one of the, the most major inspirations to me. The Mummy was a massive inspiration, but George of the Jungle, uh, when I went back to watch it, I just loved getting to see uh, how much heart and how into it Brendan Fraser was. And that was before The Whale came out and before it was announced. And I was watching it and I was just like, you know, we saw him in No Sudden Move, but like, where is he? I, I, I didn't know if he would be doing dramatic roles, but I could see uh, how much passion he had and from all the interviews he's done, you know. And so I was like, I want to see more of him. And then, you know, two years later, we... Yeah, um... George of the Jungle was maybe the first movie I've ever saw. Uh, I ever saw with Brendan Fraser uh, when I was a measly child of like maybe like five or six years old or something like that. Like I grew up watching it. It was one of the movies in rotation in uh, in my house that me and my sister loved. Uh, I think we thought it was Tarzan for like the longest time. When we were kids, I don't blame you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nobody ever corrected us, so I guess so we. <laughs> so when the when these live di- live action Disney things started to come out, I was like, no, they they've been doing that for a while, uh, and um, so. But I it was always one of my favorites, and I admit it, I haven't watched it in like more than ten years, and I watched it again this weekend. And I watched it after I, I read Gao's letterbox review. So my expectations were like on the floor. And, oh my God. And, uh, and I had a really good time watching it. It was, it, like you said, William, it had such heart. And like, it's so, you can really see that Brandon really cares about this, uh, about this character and his role and this, uh, this movie. And, um, and yeah, like uh, I, I had the best time watching it. Yeah, there's a lot of like cheesy stuff, and there's a lot of, um, you know, stuff from the '90s that definitely does not work today. But uh, overall, like I, I had a, a pretty good time, and I left way more than I thought I would. Now I hate to poop the party because you guys are talking about how much you enjoy it. Um, oh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> so I was like, I've never seen this movie actually. I don't know how because it seems like the kind of movie that would always be on Disney Channel or something. So I watched it for this episode because it's a Brendan Fraser classic, right? So I'll start by saying he's having a lot of fun. You can tell he's enjoying himself. Fraser in this era when he did Mummy and George of the Jungle, like his energy as a protagonist was very contagious. So you enjoy the stuff that he's doing. And that's as far as I can go in this movie. I really don't think it holds up having watched it for the first time without any like nostalgia um, coming forth with it. I just couldn't stand it and it was like an hour and a half and it felt so long 
And even though Fraser is really good, I didn't like Leslie Mann's acting at all. I hated that there was like this <laughs> booming narrator voice um, all the time being like telling us stuff that we were just watching happen. Like George and I forget Leslie Mann's character, but they are now walking. Ursula. George and Ursula are now walking on elephants to the other side of the jungle or like really basic stuff. Like they're going to talk to <laughs> Ursula's parents or like I get that it was trying to be a tribute to to the animated show or whatever, but it just felt so dumb. And Thomas Hayden Church. I don't know. I felt like he was just the cheesy bad guy from like a live action family movie. Especially I watched Sideways last week and he's fantastic in that. So I was really like ready to enjoy his performance. But I don't know. And I guess the ape was fine. But also, I don't know. I just thought everything in the movie was a little too ridiculous for me. Um, Especially also like Ursula falls in love with George, right? But all he's doing is like. First of all, he doesn't shower. He, like, smells really bad. He wrestles animals for fun. And he also, like, George talks in a really broken voice. He's like, why lie and no take bath? Or, like, George not have fun, but George have do it anyway. And I get that it was purposeful, but it got annoying. And then they, I don't know. Listen, all the reasons that you hate this movie are the reasons that I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I'm... I'm glad that William's on the same page as me in this one. Because, uh, all the, like, in the beginning, it was kind of, like the narrator stuff kind of threw me off. But, like, as soon as like, I turned off my, like, weird, like, uh, watched, like, hundreds of movies brain and I was, like, just enjoying my, like, enjoying the ride, every time that the narrator comes up, it's so funny. And uh, the, when, especially, like, when the characters kind of break the fourth wall, and they start interacting with it. It's it's there's a scene in the, by the end with one of the bad guys and the narrator that had me cracking up. And yeah, it was a really dumb joke, and I don't know why I was laughing so hard. But uh, like yeah, all the cheesy stuff that you mentioned are the reasons that I had a blast watching this movie. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. I knew I shouldn't expect yeah. something amazing, but I just wanted like a fun adventure movie. But you know how, like, The Mummy, we'll get to it, but at least it establishes, like, its own rules within its movie. But this movie, like, all the physics and the action, it felt like you were watching a Looney Tunes movie, but with no cartoon. But it was supposed... That's the thing. It was supposed to be, like, a cartoon in live action. <laughs> but, I don't, like, it thought it was being Who Framed Roger Rabbit with all the sound effects and shit, but it just... It was the worst Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then where do they go? Do they go to, like, San Francisco? Where did they go in, like, the second half of the oh. movie? Oh. Yeah, San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, so that whole element, just, like, the whole movie feels like Hollywood saw Crocodile Dundee and wanted to do their version, their American version, and but it sucks. Oh, it's God. the bad Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I th everything, yeah, I'm in the same page as Alan. Everything, like that's so silly and, and goofy about it. That's like what I love. Uh, and thinking back on it, I must have seen it when I was younger. Uh, but I really like oddly appreciated it when I was like 16, which is so weird because, you know, it's like you'd think you'd go back and see it 16, 17. And you'd be like, what is this? But for me, I was really like watching Brendan like gal, but <laughs> but uh but i was really like when i saw brendan fraser i was really like he's he's on that rope he's he's going for that tree and he loves doing it and yes uh, so i really admired him for like getting so into it and like and i also loved i think i did a double feature uh when i just most recently saw it like a few days ago i saw that and and see uh encino man and it's just I've like, never seen Encino Man. I don't even know. Perfect. Like, what is it about? So, it, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty oh, straightforward. Gosh. It's really just like a teen movie. Uh, but this guy comes across like a, a frozen uh, kind of like, I don't even know what you call it. He comes across a frozen man. Uh, <laughs> that frozen oh, I haven't watched that like movie Captain America? in so long. Wait, is it like Captain America, but a family movie? 
it's yeah, it's Captain America, but it's a teen movie, and Brandon Fraser plays like <laughs> plays like an ice pan. And he plays, or like a caveman. And he he's like from the ice. ice age, and then he was. Oh, he's a caveman. <laughs> it's so. And he's going around California, and he's trying to do all these like. <laughs> I need to rewatch that movie. I need to rewatch like, that movie so bad. It's like that Smurfs fish out of water formula. <laughs> it, for me, it goes like this. It goes. It goes eighty for Brady, Encino Man, The Godfather. I think that's like the perfect ranking of all movies. But yeah, no. Definitely watch Snowman with George in the Jungle. Oh my god! Crying, bro. Isn't Kiwi Kwan in it? And like a couple of the Goonies? Yeah, no, they're like... Uh, Sean Astin is like one of the leads. Uh, I think Paulie Shore is Oh my guy. god, Paulie Shore yeah. is in this movie. Yeah. Can we talk about Encino Rose Man? No, I haven't seen it. But yeah, watch Encino Man, masterpiece. But yeah, We're, that, that's George decided. Man. We're doing a total recall about Encino Man in the not so distant future. Because I didn't hear about it until he and Kihui Kwan did the actors roundtable. And, oh, right. Oh, right. Um, and he was like, yes. "Me and Brendan yes. did a movie," and I was like, "This is probably a cult classic, but possibly a not good <laughs> '90s movie." Oh man. Okay, are you guys ready? Uh, oh, William. Uh, usually when we f- finish talking about a movie. We go through and we we rate it from Jesus. Okay, I'm trying to keep it professional in here. Okay, cut that okay. shit out. I'm trying to be a good podcast host. Cut that shit out. And you guys okay. are killing me. All right. Okay, so usually when we finish talking about a movie, we give it a score from 1 to 10, like we go around. Uh, let's start with Gal, because it's probably going to be depressing as hell, and then we can finish high with the both of us. <laughs> Bro, when I saw it, I was ready to give it a 1 out of 10. What y'all said made me appreciate it a little more. <laughs> Maybe a 2. <laughs> like, I really, I really couldn't stand this movie. I'm sorry to all you fans of George of the Jungle. I know there's plenty. And I probably like offended someone out there beyond redemption. Well, you offended the both of us without <laughs> redemption. There, episode over. Now, so William, what's your rating? I would give it a nine point five. Uh, I'd leave that half off, just because it, I I wanted a little bit more. Uh, Sean Astin still talking about George of the Jungle. <laughs> I will yeah, play Thomas so, Hayden Church. I will read an excerpt from my letterbox review of this movie. I like to thank my nostalgia goggles and 90s Brendan Fraser's washboard abs for making me enjoy this way more than I probably should. You don't want to hear my letterbox <laughs> review for it. I will give I it, it I, I gave it originally it a five and a half, but after our, our discussion I'll give it a six and a half. Ooh. I'll go way up. Realistically, Better be the I'll lowest movie this like, I'd probably give it like a like a six and a half, only because we just go up from here. The next movie that we're talking about in uh, Brendan Fraser's incredible career, it is another childhood classic, at least for me. It's The Mummy from 1999. So The Mummy stars Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, and they have to stop. Uh, a mummy from like getting resurrected and taking revenge on the present day. This is actually my introduction, not my introduction to Brendan Fraser because I had seen him before in stuff like Crash or Animation, but I don't think I really like got to know him as a presence until I watched this for the first time last year, um, which you know might be a shock that I've never seen Mummy before. I don't know how I never got to it. It's a it's a fun adventure, and I think. Even though story-wise and execution-wise, overall, nowhere near Indiana Jones-level classic, I think it does the same, a similar job of 
taking inspiration and establishing scale really well when it comes to the settings. And Brendan Fraser's is great. He's so charismatic. And the presence that he has with Rachel Weisz, who's also really lovely, is off the charts. And her brother was always a great character uh, in these movies. So funny. He's really funny. And their journey is pretty interesting. Like the different tribes or journeys that they encounter. Uh, I think Screen Junkies made a video saying that like Jungle Cruise copied like every beat from this movie. And having watched Jungle Cruise first, it was funny to watch. I think some of the CGI definitely doesn't hold up. And overall, some of the villains I don't care for in this franchise at all. But considering where this franchise went, this one's actually a really fun one to just put on. But even just like as a movie to watch, I think it's a fun one, even though I don't think... Like, some people adore it. The Mummy, uh, just really, like, as I said, like, you know, I, I, I think, as we all did, I saw Raiders first. Um, so that, uh, was a massive inspiration. And, and I saw The Mummy, uh, just because my dad was like, well, you know, if, if, if you like, uh, Raiders, it's a step down, but we should try and see The Mummy. Uh, and I was like, okay. And I watched it and I just remember nothing but enjoyment. I mean, it's just like, I just love like an action adventure movie like that. And I think, you know, movies from like that era that really had that level of just like spectacle, uh, especially from the 90s, uh, are just so captivating to me, uh, no matter like the, the narrative or whatever, which I like enjoyed for the most part. Uh and also, like, the CGI, I'm going to admit, that that kind of makes me love it more just because it is silly. Because I think everything about it is just so bizarre and absurd and camp. And so, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the crazy speculation, which is if the director and the team were to make it again, they wouldn't change the CGI. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my take. Uh, Hot but, take uh, of uh, <laughs> this week's film fanatics. CGI and the Mummy masterpiece. We're keeping the CGI. <laughs> Should have beat the Matrix for visual effects, Oscar. Oh man, I I second everything you just said, William. Like this this movie, I actually got it. I got to it uh, before a lot of the like better adventure movies. You guys were talking about Raiders. Um, I actually got to the Mummy first. Uh, before Raiders actually because it was one of those movies that like was on TV when I was a kid you know um, and um, uh, Raiders I actually had to seek out when I was like older so uh, I I also remember like having a blast watching this movie just like with George of the Jungle was one of the ones that like in our house was like permanent rotation uh, watching The Mummy and that at that time I didn't care about like CGI or like any anything else really. I just wanted to have fun, and that it's one of those really fun movies that like it's perfect for like uh like a twelve year old like eleven year old to watch and just have a blast. Having rewatched it also last week or like two weeks ago or something, uh, I also had a blast again. I was thinking like like what happened with some other movies uh, that I've rewatched recently that I hated, that I loved from my childhood. I was so scared to rewatch this movie, but I'm so glad that I did because it's so fun. And like you said, the CGI is charming more than anything else. Uh, like uh, when the mummy is like, like turns into like a tornado. Uh, it's one of the weirdest fucking things that I've ever seen in a, in like in a screen. And I love it so much. Also, you've like mentioned the mummy a couple times on the podcast before I even saw it for the first time. So I think Alan was like a slight influence for me to check this out at all, um, like a year ago. What yeah, do you I think of it. like the human villains in the movie? By the way, and yeah, they're they're kind of forgettable. I, I love the I love how they like how they die. Yeah, that's like, like the best the, part. Like, of them. Their death scenes are so incredible that like I don't care that they're forgettable because I'm just there to like to see them like squirm and like a thousand bugs eat them or something <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like you can kind of tell when a movie is going for something really profound and when they're just making an action adventure spectacle 
with some heart. And so I feel like for going for that, I think they did so much. And that's why it was so enjoyable for me. Uh, it's a similar thing with like George of the Jungle. You know, it's like I typically rate things based on like how much I enjoy them. And same, especially same with same. The Mummy, like you can see how much work went into it. And it, like not just the budget, like the amount of people that were focused on lights and probably getting sound in those dunes and those massive sets. So I have like nothing but appreciation uh, for it. And no matter how camp it is, I just, I love it. Uh, some of the CGI sucks, but I appreciate when a movie establishes a scale that like makes you feel like it's going beyond what you see in the camera. But I think it also was important that it didn't take itself that seriously. Brendan Fraser even said that about why The Mummy 20, 2017 didn't work, which I saw a couple weeks ago for the first time with Tom Cruise. Still never watched it. It's dog shit, by the way. <laughs> um, and it like takes itself so seriously, and all the lighting is so dark. And um, and there's like a zombie Jake Johnson, but it's also trying to like create this dark undertone to create the dark universe. But none of it's like cheeky or witty or silly despite like the villains being so like out of this world you know and i think the the original mummy did that so well um even even the mummy returns which i watched shortly after this one i feel like they just complicated the the rules and the turns too much mummy returns i also hated unfortunately especially the Dwayne Johnson CGI. And oh, like, that 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 one's a little bit more unforgiving. <laughs> and there's like the CGI that I hated in The Mummy Returns, where it's like one of the characters gets sucked into hell, and there's like all the souls of hell pulling them in towards the end of the movie. Do you remember this, Alan? <laughs> yeah. It's in my opinion a horrible movie. There's a great scene in Mummy Returns where like Brendan Fraser's like on a double decker bus chasing someone who kidnapped his son. That's the only really good scene in the movie, but this is the only one worth watching, the original. Was Michelle Yeoh in the second one? I think that was Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, but I can't remember anymore. I haven't seen the third one. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the third one either now that I think about it. Rachel Weisz was in the third one. She wasn't? Uh, She got replaced by Maria Bello. Uh, uh, Michelle Yeoh's in the third one? And Jet Li? Michelle Yeoh and Jet Li, why are we not watching this now? <laughs> let's, let's, is, let's cancel that. We're making episode. it sound way let's better than the Let's watch it dance. now and we'll, we'll go back. Oh, no, 13% on Rotten oh. Tomatoes. But is, it, but is Michelle Yeoh? Mummy Returns, I got to see it, actually, uh, yesterday night. And, yeah, I think the magic of the first Mummy uh, was just dissipated a little bit, but, like, it was still super enjoyable for me. Like, I went in knowing that I wasn't, like, about to watch, like, a Wong Kar Wai movie or, like, you know, or, like, I, would, I wasn't about to see, like, you know, uh, Decision to Leave uh, or Women Talking. Like, he, like, Gal said before. George yeah, Gal this said. is Gal's problem. Uh, <laughs> Gal went into George of the Jungle expecting to watch Decision to Leave. That's that's so his problem such a good completely. day of movies before that. And then I watched George of the Jungle. And just, uh, William, what's your rating for I Mummy think, 1? I think I'd put it, honestly, enjoyment factor, I'd put it at an 8, if not a little higher. Uh, I'm somewhere in between, like, a... 8.25 and then 8.5 it's let's do 8.5 just because like i appreciate so much of it and maybe not on technical fields but from an enjoyment factor i just think it it's just it's such a classic and yeah of course not on technical fields i don't i don't know if i'd put it there but like just based on the nostalgia uh yeah i agree with you i'll go um 775 out of 10 but you guys are making me closer to eight oh, i was thinking six and a half but now you guys are making me feel generous so maybe seven six seven five i guess yes let's do i'm gonna do eight so that we have a seven seven point five and an eight but uh Perfect. a nice little gradual yeah but this movie i think george and the George of the jungle like you could point out more easily some of the technical stuff that would make it not stand out today as well but I think this movie, besides the CGI, I don't think uh, I think you can watch it and enjoy it like 
as if just came out. Of course, there's like a, some tropes and stuff like that from like the 90s, but overall. All right, our next movie is a review for a new movie that came out this year, and that is called The Whale. It was Fraser's comeback in a leading role after he had um, been absent from big Hollywood movies for a while. Everyone was very excited for it. I watched it a couple months ago, and we have all seen it by now. It's directed by Mr. Darren Aronofsky. If you don't really know what it's about, it's about a guy named Charlie who um, had binge eating issues after his lover died and tries to reconnect with his daughter. And yeah, it's um, it's a wonderful performance from him. And there's something so like empathetic about it. You hear and you understand like all the stuff that he did that hurt his family prior to the events of the movie. But throughout, you're watching the movie and it's like hard for you to judge him. And that's really a gift that Brendan Fraser has. Like we said, like you see him enjoying the stunts or the performance and you enjoy that with him. So you, you sort of feel the empathy with him too in The Whale. And I've always been a fan of Darren Aronofsky's style and the way he directed it to keep it engaging in a one-location one movie. Uh, I thought he did an excellent job directing it. And the lines, the script, um, wow. There like almost isn't a standout scene because there's so many well-written moments. I'm a little bit late to this party. I watched The Whale last night. I loved it. I really did. Like it was heart-wrenching, and um, I was not expecting it to be this this good. Because uh, I've I've heard like a lot of things from a lot of people. Like there's a lot of controversies apparently because of, like fat shaming or something like that. I don't agree with that. Just as a, like a movie, like it floored me. It's easily one of the best movies I've seen in a while. It's <clears throat> it's one of those movies that like you watch, the credits come, and I wasn't only stunned, I kind of like honestly left my body for a second. I was just like, it's such a... Me too, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I was just like, because it hits you so hard in those first five minutes, and you're like, you know, maybe it's just a punch at the beginning, but it just keeps on going and it keeps on going. And for me, there is something hopeful about it. I think a lot of people, their issue is that they think it's depressing start to finish. And that's valid because there's so much uh, hurt there. But uh, for me, there is hope in the end. And that may be just like my really wanting there to be hope. But I think, uh, you know, that ending kind of clarifies some of that. I mean, everyone, you know, everyone's saying this, but Brendan Fraser, what he did with this part is just astonishing. And I, and I really don't know how else to put it because it's one of those parts that on the page, you could make him so hateful. You could make him someone that the audience would hate, but his choice to put, and this is also credibly to the writing and directing, uh, his choice to put the humanity and the love that he has for his daughter, the, the kind of platonic love he has for Hong Chao, phenomenal and well-deserving of that nomination. Uh, I just think there wasn't a flaw in the performances because it really is, it's a movie where like if one of those performances wasn't up to, maybe not Brendan Fraser's standard because that the standard of his performance in this movie is so high, but at least at a, a baseline standard, I think the movie would have crumbled. And so it really just le left me feeling so much admiration for the people that, you know, I guess in some ways had the guts to tell this story because so much about it is not like a traditional, if not everything about it is not a traditional, a traditional appealing uh, Hollywood movie. And so uh, their decision to go dark, tell something human, tell something about a character who's flawed was super inspiring to me. And I think just watching those videos of Brendan Fraser getting ready and putting on his makeup, it just makes me feel nothing but admiration, as I said, for him, for the, for the makeup team, uh, for, for making the story come to life and putting their all into it. 
there's hardly a lot I think that uh, I can say after that. That was a great review of the whale. You guys could honestly just click off now. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. Please don't. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, like uh, I agree that um, the just the human nature of the story. It's so personal because like, yeah, we all don't go through exactly that. But like the feeling of grief that he's going through and breaking up families and all that. We all like f had to face that at some point or we'll have to face that at some point. And it's, it's just displayed by both Brandon Fraser and I guess Darren Aronofsky's film like as a whole as such a human thing that is not good. It's not bad. It's just the way we are and like the things that happen to us in a way. Yeah, I, I had high hopes for his performance, for, uh, for his performance after what I heard from all the people in like our community in Hollywood and all that. But I was blown away. Like I, even with all those high expectations, the, the performance he gives here is like not even like Oscar worthy. If there's anything more than that, yeah, it could probably be that lifetime achievement worthy. <laughs> Um, yes, yes but everyone's stellar like hong chow i think yeah. was brilliant and um this movie kind of gets her the recognition after she did a lot of like great supporting parts in other movies and sadie sink i felt like her her character like it's hard to nail that without being like funny but she was kind of ruthless but also like you understood her and she was phenomenal and then samantha morton comes in for I think one scene and she's also terrific. Um, yeah. Samantha Morton. I love to Ty Simpkins character. I think he got a little bit too much screen time. Like by the end of the movie, I felt like they could have trimmed a couple minutes. And so I would have taken a bit, a little bit out of him. But like you said, there's something hopeful about it. It's like almost poetic and devastating about how Charlie's like secluded in his home, but he's finally seeing, not finally, but he's always seeing the, the beauty in people and trying to convince people to see that in him in themselves, but it's hardest for him to see it in himself, which I completely understood what he was going through. Yeah. the And um, something that's like almost like, I guess we're getting so bougie with this review. Fuck it. Uh, like ethereal uh, with uh, like, like the sense that you get from this movie. There's something really important in this movie is the, um, an essay that charlie keeps reciting throughout the movie you think that it's one thing yeah you're a hundred percent sure that it's that it's i, I don't want to spoil it that's why i'm being like very cagey but like uh you're a hundred percent sure that it's one story beat that's probably the most like obvious route or like and you wouldn't blame the writer for going that way it would it would have been a good route but when he flip, flips it on his on its head by the end of the movie it's just so like such a heart-wrenching scene yeah like you guys said about about sadie sink like that's one of the scenes that like relies on her and i think william mentioned this in the beginning that um this is the type of movie that you need like a certain level of of uh acting basically otherwise everything falls apart and for someone uh sadie sink's age it's usually harder uh like in movies to just from experience every movie that we've watched usually when uh, like younger actors have a harder time reaching those notes and if she did a bad job uh like you guys said the movie wouldn't work so it's so important that she does as good a job as she does and yeah like i just i just wanted to shout her out like with uh brendan fraser as charlie she also broke my heart in a completely different way i felt like it was a similar dynamic to another Darren Aronofsky movie, The Wrestler, with Mickey Rourke and Evan Rachel Wood, who played his daughter. And um, Mickey Rourke also had his big comeback and an Oscar nomination with that movie. So I think there were a lot of comparisons there. Um, even when I asked like Darren Aronofsky after the screening of the movie, what were some like parallels between his other movies? Um, I was yeah, like in the just, front just row. Just say that. Say that and pretend like you like you didn't, and just go on. I was lucky that I was in the front row. Let's just say that, but um. Oh man, we we don't talk about that. If we, did you forget about our rule that we don't talk about the film <laughs> festival that I didn't get to go to? Don't talk about that. It's up there, honestly. I've seen a lot of 
Aronofsky's movies, and this is up there. And I get why it would turn people off. It's especially because it's so brutal. But I think there's more to it than just these people are in pain. I think there's um, there's a really beautiful story that unfolds even in this one house throughout two hours. Um, and I don't think anyone could have done it as well as this cast of characters and this yeah. group of storytellers. By the by the end, this movie like physically broke me. I I I actually broke down. I almost cried. Uh, uh, to like to be fair, uh, William, I actually. I'm a big crier, so like I've I've cried watching Avengers before, so, uh, so of course that this movie like destroyed me physically, mentally, and uh, all that. Yeah, it's one of those movies that I'm just I just I'm thankful I got to watch. You know, like one of those feelings that you have. Uh, even even though like again, it's not a fun movie. Like we just talked about two of like maybe the funnest movies of my childhood <laughs> and then we went into this depressing thing but uh but it's honestly one of the best experiences as like some of the loves movies to watch something that like really challenges you and like breaks you in that way so yeah this is this is one of my favorite movies of the year and who knows maybe you'll get like even higher are you guys ready for uh, ratings, or do you guys have anything else that you want to say about The Whale? I mean, I almost cried while we're talking about it. I mean, I'm a big crier, too, so throughout this movie, I, I was just like, I was just like, I was torn apart, but... Yeah, I was for... I almost cried, like, I almost got there. I really wish... Gao I was say. not a crier. Not as big. <laughs> I think I just cried laughing earlier, but... But um, for me, this movie's nine out of ten. Um, this is actually, I would say, my second favorite Darren Aronofsky movie after Black Swan, which Black Swan's ten out of ten for me. I think it's a modern masterpiece. And then I would go favorites at least The Whale, and then like Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, even Mother. I really liked. Yeah, he's a good filmmaker, isn't he? Actually, I want to go last. Uh, William, how uh, how much do you give The Whale? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't know where I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to rate it yet, but it is high tier. I mean, it is, it is just expertly made on every field and uh, even enjoyment factor. Uh, I can say this is of course the, the highest rate. It's a different kind uh, of enjoyment. <laughs> Enjoyment factor, Different yeah. Kind of, it's not George of the Jungle and, uh, enjoyment. It's not George enjoyment of the factor jungle, is like Darren Aronofsky uh, movie enjoyment factor. Like, how much did I need to wash my face after the movie? Yeah. No, I... But yeah, I put it up there. I mean, it's... Yeah, no, it's it's probably... It's probably a nine or above for me. I mean, yeah. Like, I've been burned before about giving movies way too much credit as soon as I watch them. So I will say this is subject to change, but like like uh, like William, I usually go for like my gut and like my my feeling towards the movie rather than anything else. And the feeling I had after I finished this movie, I I mean I couldn't like I couldn't sleep like I I'm like it was that hard. Uh, I will give it a ten out of ten. Wow, it's a rare ten out of ten movie for. From Alan, I either of us. I rarely give out 10 out of 10s. And may again, maybe, who knows, it will go down. But, like, I can only see this going down maybe to a 9.5. I can see it going down anything lower than that. At least it's not George in the Jungle. Yeah, and it's my third favorite movie of the year, of 2022. It climbed up that high. Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. But, yeah, no, it's it's up there for me. Uh, Yeah. Great. That was a good episode. I'm proud of us. <laughs> we almost broke down in the end, but we made it. <laughs> we did it for Brendan. We did it for Brendan. Oh, I will say one thing. Brendan Fraser better get this Oscar. I I am 100% on his field now. The fact that Austin Butler is now gaining more traction that makes me kind of sad. Yeah, like, that kills me. He was great. He did great work. But I liked him and Colin Farrell way more. And their respective movies. Yeah. Brendan Fraser just, I think, deserves it on a level beyond acting. 
just on a level of like how he managed to 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 really make a character who had so many irredeemable qualities redeemable and make the audience uh kind of feel love for him and uh therefore spreading you know the love and and i think that's that that's what darren aronofsky did and and oh my god william stop for so the love of god <laughs> Oh no! Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> I can't talk about this movie anymore. Someone get a tissue into the studio. I never cried on the podcast. I cannot do it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, tissues! Uh, this, the, yeah, this performance is one of the best things I've seen in a long time. I think there's a big difference because it's been like five months since I saw it and one day since Alan. Yeah. It's it's like so fresh I've like in my heart. calmed down, <laughs> but I I like rewatch some scenes to get ready for this, and it's it's tough. Like it's amazing, but it's yeah. it's tough even when you rewatch. Great, so um, that's a Brendan Fraser special for you guys, a guy that not Brandon usually makes us cry, but uh, thank I, you, Brendan, for thank making you for us laugh that. and cry, and yeah. having the best comeback story and bringing us into the Brendan. The best. The best renaissance of actors we and had we in a we can't wait to see you in Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, yeah. That should be fun. And uh, thank you guys so much for watching. William, where can people find you online? Oh, yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at River Sticks Productions. Uh, River, S-T-Y-X. Uh, or just look up William Atticus Parker on IMDb. Um, and uh and then river six productions we also have a website river six productions.com uh so yeah yeah great and we really recommend you go check out uh williams movies uh, we're definitely going to check out the debut as soon as we as can as soon as we can uh hopefully they have it here in the in the stores like either in the apple store or in the amazon store um and uh yeah gal where can people find us Film Fanatics Pod on Instagram, Film Fanatics on point, Spotify. Point to it. <laughs> right there. There you go. And on TikTok, um, which I don't even have downloaded. And then. Great. I'm at Film Toppings, Alan's his name. Um, and yeah, we are Film Fanatics. Film yes. Movies. Remember to. Oh my god, this is mirrored, I guess. Uh, but remember to subscribe. See that button? Press that button. Hit it. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't. Oh my god, we became the people that I hated when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, remember to comment and leave a like as well if you if you like the video. And comment maybe like your favorite uh, Brendan Fraser performance. I have a feeling it's going to be the way if you watch that. Definitely uh, Looney Tunes <laughs> back in action. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and uh, yes, thank you again William for joining us. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Have a good one.